Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Bill Bloom, president and founder of Bloom Financial. Bill is a family man, author, sailor, and business owner. He believes that everybody should have the ability to retire as they desire. Retire as you desire is the name of one of Bill's books and is also the model for his financial services practice where he spends his time creating lifetime income plans for his clients. In this conversation, we get into the different relationships that people have with money, both on the individual side and people who control the purse strings at businesses, because ultimately their relationship with money is going to impact how they spend on their business, how they invest, how they save, you know, all the same principles apply. We also talk about how to overcome any weaknesses or insecurities you might have when it comes to money and how to think about spending versus saving, versus investing. And that could be investing the money for growth or investing the money in yourself for your own personal growth and development. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Bill Bloom. And we are live. Bill Bloom, welcome to the show. Excited to dive into some money business with you today. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, what's better then talking about business, talking about people, talking about life. We're going to have a great conversation today. All right. Well, I would love to start that conversation with just a little bit of your background and what it is that you do. So would, would you explain your work and, and what you're doing these days? Would love to. Would absolutely love to. So in 2014, I started Bloom Financial. And what we focus on, I mean, is strictly retirement income planning. So we're really working with the highest level entrepreneurs and people who are you know, looking to have lifetime income streams from their resources and their investments and their savings. So that way they can retire as they desire, as we like to say. We're just really, really all about the people. That's what we focus on. And we just want to make people's lives better. And how did you get into that work? What, what is your origin story? Ooh, so how much time do we have today? Um, <laughs> much as you want. Yeah. So when I was a kid, you know, we had a lot of circumstances that really made me realize the importance of money. I mean, when I was in fifth grade, one of our best friends' fathers passed away. And, you know, they didn't have savings or life insurance and they ended up being on social security. I mean, through their whole entire childhood. And they had a one year old. You know, this was tragic absolutely tragic. So I saw the importance of financial planning, even though I didn't understand the whole magnitude of it. I just saw the importance that it had. And then as I got older, you know, my parents never saved money. 
They were never educated about money. I was never taught about money and it always intrigued me because I would always be working, whether it's the concession stands at the baseball games or doing something to try and make money. I always wanted to be doing something because I loved like sports cards and baseball and basketball cards. And as I got older, I realized that my parents weren't saving for retirement. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what is this going to look like? And when I was going through college, one of our professors was a financial advisor. And I saw what he was doing. I saw that he was successful. I really loved people. And I just wanted to truly learn about money and how it worked. And that's what really led me into my career path. That's great. That's a great story. So you have written a few books yourself and and talking about people's relationships with money. And I thought that might be an interesting place to start. So in your mind, as a professional, what role does money play? Like, What is the purpose of money and what is the goal for money? Oh boy, money. My true belief about money is you know, money is a byproduct of how you want to live your life. You know, you and I, we live in the same neighborhood, ironically enough, right? Yeah. You know, we see a lot of people who are in different categories of their life who living here, who are living here. There's a lot of college students, there's a lot of professionals, there's quite a few retirees who, you know, probably lived in this neighborhood for 30 years. And I truly, truly believe that money is just how you want to live your life. It could be extravagant, it could be simple, and it could be in between. But it shouldn't be controlling your life, but it should also have a purpose. And that's what we talk about with our clients and the people who we get to um, help throughout their journey is, you know, what is your purpose? What are your passions? Because if you're able to allow money to work for you and generate revenue, so that you can go out and do the things that you love. That's really what I think money is about. It's about spending your time with the people you love, with the people who you care about, and you're doing the things that you want to do. That's the whole purpose of money. I, in this conversation, I want to kind of jump back and forth between it, how an individual thinks and plans with their money and how a company does it. I think there's parallels in those two. Just for everybody listening, know that we're going to try to get into both. Do you, and I, this is an interesting one, and I, I know I sent you a couple questions ahead and this wasn't on there, but do you think money is a corrupter? Because you hear about like, you know, money corrupts, just like you hear about kind of power corrupts. Do you think that money unchecked becomes a, a corrupter? Oh, a corrupter. I think it really brings out the best in people and the worst in people. So from a corruption or a corruptor standpoint, there's a potential occurrence for that. So the answer is yes, it could happen. I mean, you see things on the news all the time. You see things in the Wall Street Journal, all these major news outlets that things happen. And when people get money hungry, when you focus and obsess on that, that could be a problem. And that's where I could see that becoming an issue to whereas if you think about money as a tool and how it could help your life and help others in your life, that's where I think you see a lot more success and a lot more positivity around money. Yeah. 
I have for a long time thought of money as an amplifier. And so if you have some issues with your own ego that need to be worked out, you know, if you have some negative elements of yourself that you haven't yet addressed, it will amplify those. And that's where you see money corrupting as people earn money. Whereas if you are a giving person, if you know, then you become the philanthropist, right? So it can project or it amplifies the traits that you have within yourself. And if you see, if you get money and start to see yourself behaving in ways you don't like, then you need to look, it's not the money. You need to look at yourself and what your traits are and and start to make those internal adjustments. That's how I've always viewed it. Yeah. And that's pretty fascinating because if you look at studies of like lottery winners or someone who inherits millions of dollars, if, if that's their circumstance, there's a big percentage of that time that you become broke after X amount of years, depending on the, on the circumstance. Um, and the same is true for professional athletes. A lot of them don't save their money because they think that it's going to last forever. And that's just not the case. You have to plan for it and put the money in a place that could actually work for you instead of you working for it. That's, that's a big complicator as well I've seen in, in the industry. Yeah. Well, and the other one too, is that people expect the money will buy, will buy them happiness. Right. And when the lottery winners, I remember seeing a study that they looked at lottery winners and they looked at people who'd suffered like horrific car accidents and been like gravely injured. And, you know, the people who won the lottery, their happiness spiked for about the first year or maybe two. And the people who were injured, their happiness, like plot, you know, plummeted for the first year or two. But after that, like we kind of get used to our circumstances again and our happiness reverts back to our baseline. And so, you know, that it's interesting, just like, yeah, okay, money's great and it can grease the skids in a lot of ways and it can provide a lot of opportunity, but ultimately you have to be a happy person. And that's a choice. Yeah. Every single day, that's a choice. It's, there's been a lot of things going on in our life. I mean, we're, we're through this pandemic almost at this point, but even with my wife and I, we've had a lot of crazy family things happening and you still need to wake up. You still need to, you know, put a smile on your face. Cause again, that's a choice as well. And at the end of the day, money solves problems. It helps solve problems. It's not for happiness. You know, buying a watch, that's a great thing, right? If you can go out and spend money on an expensive watch, or I'm just using that as an example. But a year later, just like what you said, still going to be sitting there. It's not going to bring you happiness. If you use that towards achieving a goal, whether it's a personal goal or a business goal, I think it has a different connotation at that point. And you could use that as a positive outlook and a positive way to you know, go after a goal or try and be a bigger and better person of yourself and uh, just improve as a human being. Yeah, I like that. And well, and the other thing that that makes me think of too, I don't know if this is how you meant it, but this is what I heard when you said it is like, you could just buy the watch or you could buy the watch as a celebration of some achievement that you've made. And then the watch represents something different. And therefore, like we have a, the I, you know, worked in a draw model for a long time and was living paycheck to paycheck, trying to get out of debt and, and start to really earn some commission money. And when I finally got my first commission check after years of struggling through that model, I bought, finally bought myself like my first adult couch in my late 20s. 
And I, we still have that couch and it's going to be hard to part with it because of like, that was the thing, right? Like that was, there was something I was celebrating in that moment too. It's not just a couch. Exactly. 100% agree with that. There's a different sentiment behind that. There was a reason behind it. There was a purpose behind it. Yeah. Emotion. There's emotion behind it, right? Yeah. 100%. It's all about the purpose. What was the purpose for doing that? It's powerful. So we're we're getting a little esoteric here. Let's we'll focus it back here for everybody listening, but what are the common relationships? What are the most common relationships that you see people have with money? Good good and bad. Uh, scarcity. The majority of people I see more of a scarcity mindset than an abundance mindset. With the business owners that I work with and the people from strategic coach who I associate myself with and People who like to think big, they think that there's an abundance of money. And that's a truth. I mean, there really, really is an abundance of money, wealth. And we're taught to go to school, get a job, buy a house, go into debt, get student loans. I know we've all heard this story before and become an employee somewhere. That's what we're taught to do. And that's why there's this mindset about scarcity. So I see spending. When people are stressed, I see spending when people are happy. I mean, I think there's a balance there. And I think it all goes back to how you were raised as a child and how your parents handled money. That's really where I think, well, I know your first education lesson is is on money, um, is from your parents and whomever is surrounding you as a child. So what do you see scarcity, like what behaviors do you see scarcity creating? What does that, what can that look like? for people that that is getting them into trouble? Yeah, two things. Overspending. I saw that at an early age. And when you're stressed out or when you're not happy, you use that spending as a tool to give you that shot of dopamine. Like, oh my gosh, I just bought a sweater I didn't need or a pair of shoes or having too much stuff. I see, I've seen it all the time. So from a scarcity, they think I need to buy things to make me happy because that that money is the only thing that will make me happy. It's the opposite. And then from another standpoint, I've worked with people who do not spend their money because they're afraid to. They've been able to save millions of dollars because they were savers and they were consistent, but you know they're walking around with holes in their jeans because they are just scared of losing that money. And That's one of the toughest mindsets to have, I think, because it's, again, the money should be used to be enjoyed at some point and you're not going to take it with you. And at the end of the day, it should be a byproduct of what you want to do and how you want to live your life. I keep repeating that because it's so incredibly true. And um, those ones I haven't been able to wrap my head around at this point. So how? let's take the first group then. How do you coach that group? to change that mindset? Is it just, hey, let's pay attention to your spending and and stop spending on those things? Or is there a deeper conversation that's being had about money? It's much deeper because those traits were learned somewhere. I mean, just like all of our traits are learned, but those were really deeply ingrained in them at some point. And it's most likely when they were a child. So with that being said, you need to take that back to the core root of why are you doing this? What's the point of this? And when you ask yourself that question, 
is it really about the shirt or is it something else that you're neglecting or not happy about in your life that that this is substituting, that is continuous spending? And it's usually the case. So having those conversations are hard. But at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself, what's the truth behind this situation so that you could really understand what you are truly doing? What percentage of the people that you talk to, and I, this is not going to be scientific, obviously, but roughly like what portion of the population that you deal with has an answer to the question of what is the point of your money? Like, where do you, where do you want to spend your money? Like who's, how many people have really thought through that, that you interact with? Gosh, say about 65, 70% right around there. Okay. That's a much higher number than I would have thought. Yeah. I mean, just right off the top of my head, a lot of the people who I work with, they have either had money struggles before and they've overcome that, or they've just really built a successful business or a successful practice in what they're doing. And they've been very cognizant as to what to do with that money. So instead of spending it, saving it, investing it, or buying rental properties, doing something with it to let it work for them so that they don't always have to be working for it. That's the big differentiator that I see in in the industry is that the people who don't plan for money, for their money, end up always working for it. You know what I mean? That's the reality of the situation is they're always working for it instead of it working for them. Okay. And so let's, before we get into that, you know, you had mentioned overspending and then you mentioned underspending. What do your conversations look like with the group that's underspending to get to like relieve that stress a little bit and that anxiety that comes with parting with their money? Yes. So the biggest one is if they're charitable inclined, if they want to leave the money somewhere on purpose or to kids or grandkids. And that's where advanced planning comes into play. There are tools available that can you know, potentially leave money to those kids or grandkids or charities, and they could be in really tax-efficient ways as well. So if we're able to show them, I just use technology to do this. We, you, we let the numbers do the talking. So we take their scenario, input their investments, their money, and then show them, if you do this, this, and this, we're going to help you, you know, again, I'm going to say potentially because you can't always say 100%, but you know, potentially help you reach that goal to leave X amount of dollars to all of your grandkids or the church or charity. There's ways to do that. And it's just through advanced planning. So we have to just open their mind to opportunities for them to enjoy their money. Are there any other commonalities that you see or common behaviors or issues that you see cropping up with people's relationship with money besides just those two? Um, lack of knowing where their money goes. And that's why part of... Where it goes or where it's supposed to go? Where it goes. They don't know. It's like, how often do you go to the coffee shop? How often do you eat out at lunch? How often do you buy movies? How often are you doing this, that, and the other? And that's what I see to be so true is people don't know how consistently they're wasting money on things that they probably don't need. That's what I see the most of. And so what's the process look like to get that under control? Writing down for, like, take a couple of days throughout a week, 
I have a journal for this, right? But if you have a journal or just take a piece of paper with you and when you go to Starbucks, write down, I spent $9.45 on a coffee and a donut, right? I went out to lunch and that cost me $22.79. When you're planning, something magical happens when you put pen to paper. Something happens with your brain. I don't know what it is. But when you write down, oh my gosh, I just spent X amount of dollars on XYZ that I don't need. That's where I see revelations. That's where I see people really understanding, what am I doing? And then you tally that up for a week and like, wow, I spent $1,000 on stuff that I don't need and my rent is due next week. And I might be short on that. That's where understanding where every single penny is going is crucial. Absolutely crucial. So writing it down is the key. It's painful, but you have to do it. Yeah. I've done that with time before where it's like, Mm -hmm. where's my time going? And then I've just, I'll just log down, you know, here's how much time I spent on this. Here's how much time I spent on that. And I actually had, had downloaded an app where you would just, you know, hit start. And then whenever you were done with a task or whenever you switched tasks, you would hit you know, sort of the reset button and you would have to enter in what you were just doing. And then it would automatically start the clock on the next thing. And, you know, if you were going to like, if you were like working on writing a blog post and then you went to check your email, that was a different thing. And so like, if you checked your email six times while doing another task, you had to log all of those back and forth. And it was, I'll tell you, it was a pain in the ass to do. And I, I think I only did it for maybe two or three weeks, but it was very interesting to see where you were actually spending your time and how often you were jumping between tasks. That was an interesting one. So I imagine that would be, I've never journaled with money. I imagine that would be an interesting one too, just to, there'd be some things that pop up that you're like, holy cow, I had no idea. 100%. I mean, I'm guilty of it too, ladies and gentlemen. I am too. I'm a financial advisor. I have in practice, right? We're all guilty of it. And that's where life has become so incredibly easy for us. I know we're in a pandemic, things have been hard. But what I mean by that is you could have your groceries delivered. You could have your food delivered. You could order out XYZ app and they'll bring you food every night. But that's going to cost you a ton more money than what it's going to cost you to make it yourself. Those little things, all that stuff adds up. Our life is so simple. You could order something online and two days later, it's at your door, same day delivery. And at the end of the day, you don't think about it because I could do it. I have a salary. What if your salary is not there? Can you live off your resources? And for the majority of people, the answer is no. That's so should, should we all be making our own meals and building our own furniture and having our own garden in the backyard? And like, like, you know, you can like take exercise as an analogy. Like you can exercise to be a healthy person and you can exercise because you have an unhealthy addiction to how you're supposed to look. And like with money, you can live frugally, or you can have an unhealthy obsession with saving every last dollar. So what, like, what's the goal? What's the balance where, like, how does somebody decide in their head or, or maybe, maybe not decide, but maybe give themselves the grace that like, yeah, no, I'm going to go eat out and we're going to go to a restaurant and we're going to spend a ton of money tonight. You know, we're going to spend 10 times what it would cost us to make this meal but like, that's okay. Versus like, no, tonight I'm going to stay in and, and cook myself some dinner. So I think restraint is one of the most 
underutilized traits that we exercise as human beings, especially as champions. Like you look at some of the highest performing people on the planet, they have a lot of restraint. And part of that's focus. And going back to do you have a plan or not? Or do you have a goal for your money? And if you don't, which most people don't, they don't think about that and they don't write it down. So your money is going to go every which way besides where it probably needs to go. I think you definitely need to celebrate. Going out to dinner is great. Restaurants are starting to open back up. Life's starting to open back up. So having those things in your life are important and have a reason to go and celebrate it. It goes back to that purpose, just like the watch or your couch or X, Y, Z, have a reason to go do it. I mean, my wife and I, here's a perfect example. We've been ordering pre-made meals like one week at a time. So we put in the microwave. We don't have that extra hour in our day because of family circumstances to do that. So instead of ordering from a restaurant and paying $30 for a plate, we're paying eight, right? So there has to be a balance there. There absolutely positively needs to be a balance. And you have to look at your time. And I do want to touch on something that you said. You said, should we be, should we be making our own furniture? Should we be doing these things? And the answer is no, 100% no. So you see, our time is more valuable than our money, hands down. And I'm a big believer in who should be doing this instead of how. So the majority of people on this planet, if you need to do a task or an errand or figure out your furniture, most people are going to say, how am I going to get this done? Right? So what we're taught, how am I going to get this done? But the reality is we should be asking ourselves the question, who should be doing this? And that's true for business. It's true for life. Again, my wife and I just moved into our house about three months ago. I didn't hang a single picture. I didn't put anything together. I did nothing. You know, I put my clothes away and stuff, right? I put my books in my bookshelf, but I didn't build the bookcases. I didn't hang these pictures up behind me. I did none of that. I didn't build this table where my desk is at because my time should be spent on doing things that I'm really good at. I'm terrible at doing all of these things. 100% 100% terrible. I mean, 100% terrible. I shouldn't even touch a hammer, <laughs> right? So you need to look at what you're really good at. What are your unique abilities? And focus on those two to three things. And I think you'll be a lot happier in life too. It's good to outs- outsource those things that you probably shouldn't be doing because that's going to bring you happiness more so than the money will. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, just to clarify what what you are saying right now too, is like, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't do any of these things. And that's, but then you said it's because I'm bad at them and because my time is better spent. You're, you're happier, more productive and make more money to be able to afford those things by spending your time in other places. Whereas like if you move into a house, somebody who moves into a house and loves setting up their space, you should be spending time setting up your space because that's the thing that brings you joy. And you should find the other things in your life that are not bringing you joy where you could be earning more or getting more value in other ways and spending your time on those and outsourcing those types of things. So I think there's like, I think it's easy when you talk about this, especially when you talk about money to be like, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And there's a lot of shame around money. And, you know, it's like everybody's different. 
and and the key i think is what you said at the beginning of this is like knowing what it is for you gosh you said that so well because one of my really close friends loves woodworking loves it and he's building cabinets for his basement and that's a nightmare for me like i don't even want to use a saw like i don't want to use that's like scary for me that's not my cup of tea and he loves it. So yes, I mean, that's a great thing for him. That's the stress release from his business. And um, if you enjoy doing that stuff, like God bless, that's great. That is something you should spend your time doing. And, um, you know, I love cooking. I really, really enjoy cooking. It's just, we don't have that extra hour in the day right now to do that. It will change in a couple of weeks, right? And I'll get back to that. But right now you have to simplify your life. And if you're not simplifying your life, you know, that's where chaos ensues. And um, I don't want to live like that. Yeah. So want to shift this a little bit or, or move this on to another topic and, and get to the point of like, wh- what do you do with the money that you have coming in? And so would love to talk about maybe not define, but, but talk about three different topics, saving, spending, and investing. And how you think about those three topics and how you are advising individuals. We'll start with individuals, but I want to get to companies on this too. How you're advising individuals to understand what should be spent, what should be saved, and what should be invested. This is the biggest trick because everyone's so different. And this is what makes my life and job and my company so interesting because it's it's all putting a big puzzle together. So what should you be doing, right? And like you said before, there's a ton of shame around it. The reality is you need to make it personalized. So that's where we start is seeing, do you have debt? Do you need to spend your money paying down that debt first? Should we be saving up an emergency fund for three months, six months? What are you comfortable with? And then as far as your investing goes, what are your avenues? Should you do pre-tax? Should you do post-tax? No. We just printed how many trillions of dollars, meaning the government of assets and monies over the past year. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, we're in this global pandemic, but you know, who's going to pay that tax bill? It's probably going to be us. So what are you doing with your money? Are you putting it in something that's going to be taxed later? So that's a very serious discussion we're having with all of our clients right now is should we start putting things into that tax-free asset class? for later on down the road. And um, we need to analyze it. And that's where we use a really powerful technology tool to show you if you do this, here's what it's going to look like. Or if we do that, here's what that's going to look like. So it's all about asking questions first and foremost. So if someone said, for instance, like yourself, like if, let's pretend you had $100,000 of student loans. It's like, what's your priority? Do you want to buy a house or pay off your student loans? probably pay off the student loans. So we create a program for that to happen and we try and automate those payments for the people. That way it's it's systematically going to be done for them. So it sort of becomes second nature. And then once their debt's done, then they could start saving and investing and putting that money away or doing a combination of both. So what are some of the questions that people should be asking themselves as they're thinking through this? What, what do those questions sound like? Number one, this is a big one and it, it deals with your house. Like we all need a place to live is what's the total cost of my home 
over a 30-year mortgage. When's the last time you looked at your amortization schedule? I have mine right here. I actually pay attention to that. Um, I wrote in my in my latest book that if you bought a five hundred thousand dollar house at a certain interest rate, you know you're almost paying for two houses over the over those thirty years. It's unbelievable. But most people have no idea how much interest they're paying. Um, and the same is true for student loans. I mean, I had you know, fifty four thousand and change worth of student loans coming out of college, and I played soccer, so that paid for half of my other um, tuition. But I paid that off in three years because I focused on that. I had seven and eight percent interest rates. It's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. So I focused on paying those off because that actually can make you money because you're saving money. It's so incredibly powerful. So, so is is rule number one get out of debt? Is that like oh, is that rule number one? Debt free is the way to be. That's my personal opinion. Like. Our, my goal for like our new house is to pay it off within five years, is just to be completely debt-free. Yes, I mean, think about that. If you don't owe anyone anything, are you financially free? There's a big question about that, and you need to ask yourself that question. For the real estate investors that I work with, you know, they love debt. You know, you look at the Robert Kiyosaki's of the world and they say that's your friend. And that could be true if you, you if you know how to use that properly. But the majority of people do not live their lives like that. They take on bad debt, car loans, mortgages, student loans, paying 20% on credit card interest. It's it's really hard to get out of that once you go down that cycle. Yeah. The debt, the debt is debt, it's not leverage. Correct. Correct. You have to ask yourself, if you take something out on debt, can you make money from it in three years, five years, 10 years down the road? Is this asset going to appreciate? And that's the question. Most people don't think like that because they're not taught that. That's a problem. Yeah. So if you buy the car, yeah. So so then investing is the next one, right? So I guess there's two there's two types of investing. As I was thinking, as I was like prepping for this conversation, I was like, okay, there's there's two types of investing, right? There's investing the money, and then there's investing the money in yourself. Yes. And so how do you coach individuals on deciding whether to invest the money and let it grow? Which I guess could also be saving, but you know, versus like but that's what most people think about when they think about investing, right? They think about like, oh, I'm going to put this in the stock market versus saving. I'm going to save this in a savings account. How do you think about like investing the money to watch it grow versus investing the money in you to go out and like make more money down the road? So I'm going to give you an example. I mean, we briefly touched upon this last time we talked, and I think this would be great for the listeners to hear is when I was working with one of my business owner clients, he was asking me, should I invest $200,000 in the market right now? Or should I build out my team? Should I hire more people? And that's an investment in and of itself, if you think about it. So we ran the numbers. We said, okay, here's what it looks like if we get you know, 5% return in the market, because we wanted to be you know, moderate risk tolerance, versus if you hire these four people, what does your business look like in three, five years? 
is that $200,000 investment going to turn into a million? And when he went through it and ran the numbers, it made more sense for him to invest in himself and in his business. Because people can make you wealthy. Let's think about that for a second. People can definitely help you build wealth. You and I have the same 24 hours in a day. We all do. But if you build a team around you, if you have a business, that's where you're going to see growth because you're leveraging their time. And they're okay with that. That's their choice to become an employee somewhere. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you are taking on that risk as a business owner. So you need to ask yourself, what's the best use of this money? And what's the reality behind this money? So he decided to invest the money in the business, which was the right decision to whereas it wouldn't have been the best use to put into the market at that time. Yeah. Even if the market had grown a lot, you know, there's probably an element there that, you know, there's a big, there's a bigger compounding effect over time with the other investment. There was, there definitely was. Yes. So let's talk about business for a second, right? Do you see, or I guess, do you have conversations with, with your entrepreneur clients about how they pay their people and those types of investments? Sometimes, yes, absolutely. Because I mean, that's one of the best business expenses you could have. What are the principles then that you rely on when saying, helping somebody decide whether it's worth paying their people more versus banking the money? If you have built a solid team around you, yeah, the money will help you know the employees over time. But if they're happy in their job, I think that's more important. I think making sure that they're happy with what they're doing with their time. Because again, they only have two to three things that they're really good at as well that they enjoy. Not 17. So don't put 17 things on their plate. You need to have different people for the different roles. And I truly believe investing in people and in yourself will help grow that business. So I'm a big proponent of that, especially in in my company. I'm a big believer in that, is rewarding people who deserve that. So I think you're going to get a really good return on investing in people because human capital, that's one of the best ways to build wealth is through other people. Where do you see business leaders getting hung up on money issues? Is it the same issues as as individual spending or is it different? So I see that business owners do not have savings. Look at the pandemic. How many people went out of business because they didn't have that six-month, one-year emergency fund? Think about that. So when I'm speaking with business owners, I ask them all the time, how big is your emergency fund? Most how people many, don't have it. Yeah, I was going to say, how many people have an answer to that question? That's not they look zero. At me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They say, well, I have some personal savings. I go, that's great. But if you get into a pinch, we go into another pandemic. Then what does your financial situation look like? And the writing's on the wall there. They know they need to start building that up, putting more cash reserves away. So that's one of the biggest proponents that I see. And that's true for individuals as well and families. A lot of people don't have emergency funds, savings, um, just to get by for a month, let alone six months. So that's a big, big issue that I see. And 
the other issue that I see, um, you know, not really directly with the people who I work with, because I'm very, very picky and particular with those people who I decide to work with, but being very selfish and it goes back to that scarcity. It's my company. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And it's not the our, it's the we. It's, it's, it's yeah. like an individual versus us type mentality. It's like, well, and there's also what I've seen is, you know, every dollar that comes in is their dollar. And so any dollar you're investing back in the business is a dollar they're not making. And so you could see, I've seen that prevent people from making some of those investments. Absolutely. Yeah. Scarcity, total scarcity mindset. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people who have a certain level of embarrassment when it comes to their money and, you know, especially when it comes to saving and investing their money, you know, everybody's pretty good at doing their job. Everybody's pretty good at, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, sort of maintaining life, I will say, but like nobody is good at saving. And I would argue that like, we're just not designed to do that. Like these are, these all have to be taught skills, but there's like, there's this sentiment that, that everybody else out there is doing it better than we are. And so it creates, like I said, some shame, creates embarrassment. What would you say to those people? And how do you help those people when they come to you sort of get over that hump? Well, we live in a society where we want instant gratification. If you set a goal for $20,000 in your savings account, you need to have it there by yesterday. Right. That's like the big issue that I see with social media, with all these platforms that want to promote. I'm super successful. And the truth is that person might not have $20 in the bank and you don't know the reality that of was, that situation. What was that? The little, little bow wow challenge. Is I'm that not what sure. That was like a couple of years ago. He, uh, the, the rapper posted a picture of himself in front of a private jet. And then one of his Instagram followers wound up sitting next to him on the commercial airline that he actually took. And so she had seen the picture and then like saw him on the flight and exposed it and it went viral. And so like a bunch of people were doing that as a joke, like taking one picture of like what they, what they wanted everybody to see. And then taking another picture of like what their actual life was like. And so it turned into a whole thing. But the reality is that a lot of what we see is a, is that whether it's an extreme version of that or, you know, just the fact that we're all only posting the best moments of our lives. It's a big part of social media, the best moments of our lives. And that's not the reality of life. That's could be a picture, it could be two seconds of your life, but that's not how you choose to live your whole entire life. And that's your mindset. Are you, are you grateful? Are you happy? Do you enjoy what you're doing with your time? It's more important than any Instagram picture, 100%. So going back to what this rapper was doing, it doesn't matter if you fly on a private jet or or if you're in coach, right? You're still going somewhere. You're going to go do something, hopefully fun. That's what matters is spending time doing something that you want to. As far as savings goes, you know, money is meant to be used in one way or another. So just having your emergency fund, whether that's three months, six months, a year, whatever you're comfortable with, and depending on the volatility of your job and 
the way that your cash flow comes in is you know put that money to work pay off your debt invest the money because sitting in your bank account is doing nothing it's helping the bank because you're able to lend more money because they're sitting on yours they're winning not you they're not paying you anything hardly anything i should say so put the money to work let it work for you instead of you always having to work for it and once you figure that out no your mindset will change on money you will think about should i fly first class or coach should i invest that extra money every month should i save that money should i put that money down towards my student loans or my debt that's more powerful than uh than taking some instagram picture <laughs> yeah so i imagine you know sticking with the the shame piece here you know it's really hard for people to find a therapist because to find a therapist means that you have to admit that something's not perfect with yourself and that you need and it's a uh and ask for help and you're finding a stranger to admit those things to so you're taking like two of your more vulnerable confessions and bringing them to a stranger and i imagine there's a version of that that happens with a financial advisor right where you're like i have shame around my money or i have shame around my ignorance and i need to find this person who is an expert in all of this and admit all of my biggest vulnerabilities to them. So how should somebody find the right advisor for them? How should they approach finding an advisor? And how should they know when somebody's right versus when somebody's not? Interview as many advisors, men and women, until you feel comfortable with one. Ask them. Here are some good questions to ask, you know, your financial advisor or someone who you're um, interviewing to become your advisor. Number one, you know, how do you get paid? Always ask for all your costs. Like we're very transparent in that. I show everything. So there's no shame in that. You know what you're paying for and understand what are you actually going to do for me? Because make it about you. It should be. To your money. And then also set up a plan, meaning how often should you meet? And you should set those expectations, not your advisor, your money. I mean, once a month, once a week, that's not realistic, but once a quarter is absolutely positively not unrealistic. Once a month, potentially, if you have a lot of advanced planning and things you need to do, but at the end of the day, interview as many advisors and ask your friends whomever they're using. And you know, Google is your best friend. It's really simple. Look for an advisor near me. But one of the things I do want to make very clear to everyone is try and look for a, what's called a fiduciary. And that means they need to work in your best interest. Like I'm a fiduciary. So when I work with my clients and my people, it's always about them. So that's just a higher standard of professionalism that you need to work work for the in the client's best interest. So please make sure you're working with a fiduciary. Which basically means that any decision that they make, they have to make it as if they were investing their own money. Exactly. It's it's not for what's gonna pay them the most. Yeah, because they can, 
you know, then if they're making decisions based on where they're going to make money, they can get sued for that because it's not in the client's best interest because they were supposed to be acting in the client's best interest as if it was their best interest. That's essentially what it means to be a fiduciary, correct? Right, right. It's it's not like you're going to put every single one of your client's money is in one fund because you get a trip from that, right? Like that's, that's what you want to avoid. That's definitely what you want to avoid. Yeah. So we part of our business is helping companies put together their 401k programs for their employees. And so same thing, like we're a fiduciary on those programs. Some companies are, some companies are not. Um, I actually didn't realize that individual investors could also become a fiduciary. Yeah, there's a wide spectrum of that. I mean, I've sit on boards or sat on boards before where we were fiduciaries. Like I was a treasurer of a nonprofit and I was, I mean, it's the same principle. You have to act in that organization's best interest. And that's just how I live my life. And that's how I'm able to sleep well at night because it's not about the money. I just love working with people, speaking with them, listening to them. Because the way that my brain works is just putting the pieces together of, a, of their big financial puzzle. And it's just fun for me. Really enjoy it. Yeah. So what are you sick of talking about when it comes to your work? Mm, sick of talking about? I've never been asked that one before. I think the politics behind investing. What's Meaning what? going to be... Like we just had our presidential election. So I, I would get calls and I'm not sick at this. It's just, a, we don't, we need to understand that the markets don't particularly care who's in office. If you look at what's happened throughout history, they really truly don't really care. So just having a lot of people worried because again, it's the media, it's the news, just getting them wrapped up and getting them emotional and scared and scarce and we don't need to think like that. You know, the markets are going to do what the markets are going to do. So going back to your question is just when when the when the elections were going on, there was just so much fear and fright and you could tell which news channel the person was watching by what they were saying. It was unbelievable. It was really interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. What are you most excited to be talking about these days? Automation, just new projects, working on a few things to help simplify you know, everyone's financial future. And, you know, we'll be talking about this again in the future, but just new projects, new opportunities coming down the line. And um, I really think we're working on a big game changing um, company coming up here for the future. It's going to be fun. Nice. What belief do you have about the work that you do that's contrarian to what others might expect or say? People think that financial advisors are a dime a dozen, and that's not true. But when things happen like the Bernie Madoff scandals and other 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 instances, it makes us all look bad. Just like if a lawyer does something wrong, it makes all lawyers look bad. And it's just that stigma around it. I still get questions about Bernie Madoff. I still get questions, right? And like that's what, like what kind of questions? How do I know this is not that type of situation? And that's super fair. I love those questions because that's where we say we have a lot of compliance. And I really like compliance. We have a great relationship with our compliance team. It's wonderful. So the stigma around that is still there. It's still there, unfortunately. And again, you want to be working with the highest standard 
of advisors. And we're not all the same. So that's why I'm really recommending when you before you hire one, interview them. Have them talk to you about their personal life and see if you like them. If you don't like them, don't work with them. You don't have to. There's no obligation. Is that fair? Right? You don't have to work with them. There's plenty of us in the world. So be patient, take your time. But when you feel like that relationship is right, take that next step because they probably have different ways of helping you that you probably don't know about. How does somebody know when it's time to use an advisor versus when to keep doing it on their own? When they're too stressed out, when they don't understand what they're doing, and when they don't know how to put a plan in place, which is the majority of people because we're not educated on how to do so. So it's just the majority of people. They don't know how to really let their money work for them instead of working for it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking all this time. I only have one more question for you, which is, in your mind, what is the purpose of business? This is one that I ask just about everybody at the end of the show. The purpose of business, in my mind, is all about the people. It's always, always, always about the people. You could focus on profits. You could um, focus on growth. But at the end of the day, like you know, my mentor and friend Dan Sullivan says from Strategic Coach, who do you want to be a hero to? It's all about the people. So which people? So for me, it's the highest level entrepreneurs um, because I understand that language. I understand business. And the people who are 50 and older who want to really plan the rest of the, the rest of their life out and figure out how their money you know, could potentially last their lifetime. So if you're 50, you want to retire at 60, and then we need a plan for that money to last till 100, 110. So that's where I come into play. That's just how my brain works. Awesome. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you would still like to share with people? I know there's, you know, money is such a nuanced topic and, you know, we sort of skimmed the surface on a bunch of stuff and and didn't get too deep or technical on, you know, specifically where to put it or what that looks like. But is there anything that we didn't cover that you think would be important before we leave off? Yes. I mean, my my parting advice would be instead of going to Starbucks three times a week, go buy a book. Not mine. Doesn't have to be mine. But go pick up a financial book. Understand money. I mean, there's a ton of knowledge out there. You could even watch free YouTube videos, right? There's a lot of professionals out there who have really great content. So instead of spending the money on Coca-Colas or whatever you're frivolously spending money on, just go buy a book, invest in yourself, start that personal process. Because that time that you invest in yourself could be your best investment of your life. That's great advice. Let's plug your book specifically. What, what are your books and what should people expect if they read them? So the latest books that were released in October of 2020, um, the first one is called Money Habits for Success. And this book is all about, it teaches you what debt is. We talk about, okay, how much money do you actually pay on a mortgage and how to figure that out? We also talk about how to actually get control of your money 
and to understand where your money is going. Because as I said before, most people don't even know where their hard-earned dollars are going. And I also created the, the Your Money Journal. And this is where you bring this around with you for a couple of days, maybe for a month straight, but start understanding your habits. Start understanding where your money is going. And all you need to do is write it down. It's really simple, ladies and gentlemen. Start writing down your spending and you'll be amazed where your money is going. I mean, I wrote the, the first book, Money Habits for Success, at a high school level. Like a high schooler could understand this because that's where your financial journey really starts taking off. It's right in high school. And then I've also written a book called Retire As You Desire. And that's geared towards planning out um, your future retirement. Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you for spending an hour with us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, everybody out there, I hope this has been helpful and uh, helps you put your money in some smarter places or at the very least helps you go out and and get some help doing that. So thank you, Bill. Uh, Thank you for having me. It was great talking about people and business today. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.